or feeling like you have to please everybody and be the perfect teacher for everyone. And instead you become the perfect, most extraordinary teacher for just the right person or group of people. And that is very powerful and very freeing. Well, hello, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of Dharma Talk. I'm your host, Henry Winslow, and this is episode number 21, where I interview Michelle Linane. And this episode is going to be a little bit different from what you've heard before if you've been a regular listener. This episode is really here for the yoga teachers in the audience. And we still talk about Dharma, we still talk about path and purpose and challenges and failures and lessons learned, but Michelle is a business coach for yoga teachers and an author on the topic and a podcast host on the topic as well. Michelle was kind enough to share a wealth of advice and resources and information for yoga teachers specifically on how to take the business side of their teaching a little bit more seriously and bring in the success that their teaching deserves. So some of the things that you can expect from this conversation are insight on how to gain clarity on your message and whom you want to serve as a yoga teacher so that you can go ahead and become the best guide you can possibly be. She mentioned six different ways yoga teachers can diversify their income by serving their core student base outside the studio. And I think that's really key and a message that she's um, very focused on. And we talk about how to scale your time and energy as a yoga teacher to avoid the dreaded burnout and at the same time build deeper, more meaningful connections with your students. So, Dharma Talk community, I appreciate that this is a bit of a divergence from your regular Thursday morning routine, and I welcome your feedback. Let me know what you think of this episode. You can always contact me at Henry Wins on Instagram, or you can find me on my website, henrywins.com. Stick around through the announcements, and we'll jump right into this conversation with Michelle Lenane. Dharma Talk super fans, I know some of you have been asking about this and waiting for it, so I'm excited to announce that our Dharma Talk shop is now live. And this shop is in partnership with We Are Yoga. Check back to episode number three for my interview with the founder, Will Jones. They're doing all kinds of fun stuff, not just with products, but with events and retreats and all that good stuff. So, Go check out the store. We've got t-shirts, hats. Um, By the time you're listening to this, there may be some leggings up there as well. And you can get 10% off your order with code HENRYWAY. That's not just on the Dharma Talk stuff. That's on the entire We Are Yoga website. You can get there through henrywins.com slash way, W-A-Y, or you can navigate through weareyoga.com. If you're looking to rapidly advance your yoga practice in a short amount of time or your understanding of the subtler practices of yoga, consider applying to the Labor Day Immersion at Lighthouse Yoga School. Jared McCann, Aviad Sasi, and I will be leading this 30-hour, four-day intensive yoga study to help you advance your asana practice to be sure. Lots of classes and focused posture clinics. But more importantly, there will be a group sadhana every morning, and it's our goal that you'll be able to walk away with a spiritual practice that supports you for the rest of your life. So get the details on that and sign up at henrywins.com events. 
What's your purpose? What's your vision? What mark will you leave on this planet long after you're gone? I'm Henry Winslow, and you're listening to Dharma Talk, the only podcast where I interview inspirational yogis on how they're changing the world in their own unique ways. Whether you're still searching for your purpose or already walking the path, I hope these stories get you excited to live your dharma. Hello, Dharma Talk community, and welcome back to another episode. Today, I'm interviewing a new friend named Michelle Lenane. Michelle is a yoga student and teacher whose love of yoga has shifted over the years toward a passion for helping fellow yoga teachers. Through her work with her business, Love Teaching Yoga, she is focused on making continued education convenient and affordable for yoga teachers via a variety of resources, including her own podcast, also entitled Love Teaching Yoga. Michelle helps yoga teachers convert dreams into goals and take tangible steps to make those dreams realities. Michelle, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm excited to learn from you, and I'm sure our guests are too. How are you? I am doing well, and it is such a pleasure to join you and be on your show today and connect with your audience. Um, I just love having these kind of conversations and uh, you know, just sharing insights with each other. One of the, the things that I love to say is that as yoga teachers, we are each other's greatest resources because without the ability to share our experiences, we'd be limited to our own perspectives. So thank you for having me and thank you for, for creating this show. Absolutely. And I really like what you just said, because, you know, as yoga teachers, we have to do our part to continue being students. And that's what it's all about. It's continuing to learn from each other. When you become a teacher, the learning does not stop. In fact, I think that's where it really all starts to take off. So, Michelle, oh my gosh. I, I would like to. Oh, no, go ahead. I was just going to add to that. That is so true. I mean, I thought that I knew a lot about yoga before yoga teacher training. And, you know, what they say, you don't know what you don't know. And boy, did those doors fly wide open through teacher training. So (laughs) (laughs) I agree. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Michelle, I always start these interviews with the same first question. I'm going to ask you that question now. What does the word Dharma mean to you? And what is your Dharma as you understand it today? Well, I understand that the word has its roots in both Buddhism and Hinduism and maybe even other religions um, for that matter. And I I get that its meaning has changed uh, over time, much like the practice of yoga itself. But what I've come to know it as is a concept of cosmic order, so to speak. So If you're like me and you subscribe to the idea that the purpose of this life is to live your highest self, then to me, Dharma is living in that path of finding, exploring, connecting, living your highest self. So that like every soul on this planet has an intention and a purpose to carry out. And when one is acting and living in alignment with that intention, the one is carrying out their cosmic dharma. But I have to be honest too, like that is not a term that I often use myself. So I apologize to anybody who has like a deeper meaning that maybe I don't fully understand. But I really appreciate that you are constantly exploring this term on your show because it 
it has so much impact and so much meaning and such deep roots throughout history. So I think it's very interesting to listen to your show and, and hear everybody's answers and perspectives. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, that, that is the reason why I continue to ask it to every guest. Everyone sort of has a different uh, personal understanding of what it means, and it doesn't necessarily need to come back to the textbook meaning or the traditional Hindu or Buddhist meaning. It's more about um, how you take that concept and apply it to your life. And, and that's really what I want to share with everyone who's listening to this podcast. So I very much appreciate your personal spin on it. And of course, yeah, there's lots to unpack there. And that's, that's kind of what we're going to do with this, with this show and this conversation. Awesome. Yeah. So, okay. So I, go ahead. I was going to say, so to answer your second part of that question, <laughs> yes, please. Um, my, my Dharma is, I understand it today entails a few things for me personally. Um, The first I think is kind of touching on what I just said, and that is being like, or attempting to live a life that is in as much accordance with my highest self as I can. Um, The second part of that living my Dharma to me is to be the mother and the guide that I feel like I'm destined to be to my six month old son, Mason. And the third kind of aspect to it is related to my work. And that is since my early twenties, I've been committed to helping people live happy, healthier lives. And as you mentioned in that intro, while I once did that by opening up a community space for yoga and wellness, and I taught classes there, I now focus on helping yoga teachers carry out their dharma, so to speak, um, by helping them improve their teaching skills and build Uh, sustainable careers so that they in turn can help even more people than I could on my own live those happy, healthier lives. It's that ripple effect. If you can empower more people to go out and do the work, then you have that much more impact. And it becomes this, this collective consciousness. Right. And that's such a beautiful thing. And, and something that I worked really hard to create at, uh, the studio space that I kind of just mentioned, um, you know, being there was, uh, something very eye-opening for me. Well, first off, I should say I got into opening a yoga studio, not as a yoga teacher. I'd never taught yoga. I never worked in a studio. I practiced for a long time and it changed my life. And so I wanted to give back and create a space to change other people's lives. And, Um, you know, I got thrown into teaching because of that, but you know, what I saw in the first year of even being open was just how many yoga teachers struggled to pay their bills, how loving and kind and caring they were and how much energy and effort they put into their work and, and, and their teachings and, you know, to just struggle to pay their bills in the end. And that was really disheartening because I watched some of my teachers have to quit and go back to, you know, their corporate jobs or whatever. And I just got really, you know, down on seeing that. So in later years, as I transitioned out of being the owner and sole operator of that studio, uh, that's when I transitioned into love teaching yoga and really helping teachers learn how to navigate this career path. Um, not only to just strengthen their skills, but really to, to create a business of it, to understand what it means to be an independent contractor and how to survive, um, as an independent contractor. Cause we're all of a sudden thrown into these businesses, you know, into, you know, a career that 
you're not just an employee where you get to show up every day and then go home without further responsibility. Like I'm sure you know that, that that's just not the case for, for most yoga teachers. So, so that's, that's where I am, you know, and that's where I love to see, uh, like you said, that the conscious community come together, um, in the studio space and, and, in the teacher space as well, like bringing back the community among teachers. Cause I don't know how you've, you know, what you've experienced, but I've seen a lot of competition that I thought was kind of unnecessary. And I'm like almost a lack of community among the teaching community. Which is so sad and ironic because really, you know, it's quite the opposite that brought us into the yogic path, into the practice for, for most of us. I mean, I can't speak for everyone, but for a lot of people, it's about finding that community of people that you really resonate with. So, you know, very sad if, if teaching yoga pulls you away from that. Yeah, <clears throat> I agree with you. So what would you say, you know, to from your experience working with various yoga teachers and, and seeing them go down, you know, uh, this this path of financial turmoil and, and seeing some teachers who really thrive with it. What is a very, what's the number one most common mistake that you see yoga teachers making? Okay. So I wouldn't say that it's a mistake because I don't think it's their fault. Um, I think that, you know, we're students and we love yoga and, you know, we're going to classes and we have teachers that resonate with us and they encourage us to teach and, you know, we want to deepen our practice. And so we become teachers. We want to share this beautiful transformation with other people. And I think that it's a mistake on the community as a whole, maybe you could say that we're not educating people right from the beginning that this requires creating a business for the most part. Um, so, you know, we go through our teacher training and then all of a sudden we're just thrown out there to teach. And it's by the nature of studios hiring us at independent as independent contractors that we become business owners um, without really realizing it. So um, I think that being able to create a viable, sustainable career teaching yoga requires that understanding and the development of business skills, because we're not employees. Um, there are studios, of course, that hire as employees. And if you're lucky enough to get a full-time schedule teaching at that studio, then yeah, maybe you, you know, don't have to worry about a website and, um, you know, paying your taxes as an independent contractor and all of that, you know, you get to, um, you get the joy of being a full-time employee somewhere, but that's just not the reality for a lot of us. And, a lot of us have to, you know, teach beyond group classes to really uh, survive just because the, the you know, mo a lot of people in small towns or, you know, different places around the country and around the world don't get paid too much within that group, you know, studio class setting. So where teachers can really thrive is, is starting to think outside the studio and creating their own uh, businesses around classes at other locations and hosted in the park or, you know, renting um, space by the hour, uh, teaching private clients in their homes or in your home, uh, doing corporate gigs and, and that sort of like on-site kind of classes. So, so, you know, in all of that, of course, you need to track your expenses and your income. You need to do some accounting along that, alongside that. You've got to 
um, promote and get the word out there about your business and your offerings. And so now all of a sudden, you know, there's a lot of business skills involved. And so while I wouldn't say it's a mistake that teachers make, I would say it's the like number one thing that people really, um, I really want teachers to understand so that they can develop and adopt some business skills and seek that out just as much as they invest their time and their energy into their actual teaching skills. Um, business skills are, are just as important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And you're right. I mean, it's it's no one's fault, really, except, I don't know, maybe the um, the teacher training programs that that, la- that miss that point of the career. But um, we can't really blame, blame them either. I think it's a personal responsibility to understand what what comes with, you know, the, the path that you that you set in front of yourself. And it doesn't mean you need to know every single thing that's coming your way. But I think you need to get interested in the challenges that come up along the way and, and, and go into them just like you would in your yoga practice. You know, you find that moment of discomfort and you can shy away from it, but that's not really the benefit of the practice, right? The, the benefit is to face that discomfort, face those emotions that come up, face those challenges and work through them. So the same can be said for the business side, I would say. Um, there was one thing that you mentioned that I'd like to dig a little bit deeper on, and that was this idea of kind of diversifying your income or revenue streams beyond the classes in the yoga studio. So can you talk a little bit more about what some different ways that yoga teachers can start to be of service outside of the studio? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, If I could, though, I would like to say that there's something before teachers should really do before they start thinking about diversifying their income. And that is to get really clear on their message. So what is it that you want to teach? What is it that you want to say and share through yoga? So what kind of transformations or results do you want to help others create through yoga? Um, That's the biggest thing I think teachers um, can do to help themselves, uh, you know, really stick around in the long term and to create a lot more clarity when it, when they get to the point where they want to diversify their, their income streams. Um, if you're not clear on your message and why you're teaching yoga and what it is you want to share about, um, with people, then there's a real lack of direction in there. Um, uh, I work with yoga teachers as a career coach too. And so one of the most common things I see is, um, scatteredness. There's a lot of inspiration, a lot of ideas, a lot of parts about yoga that they love, a lot of people they love to serve. And then teachers never know where to go from there. And they don't know which of those inspirations to follow, which, um, you know, where to invest their time in terms of their training and uh, how to spend their time in terms of what they're reading and, and um, you know, educating themselves on. Um, plus their marketing message, you know, their promotion, it's very scattered. So the first thing I want to say is get clear on your message. And if you're not sure what message of transformation you want to share with people, then get in touch with your personal why. What were your aha moments through yoga? What what transformation did you experience? Oftentimes we can just draw upon our own life um, to uh, to help us get clearer on what it is we want to share because you know that's what we experienced and that's often what we want to share. 
So once a teacher can get clear on that, that message, and actually, let me give you an example of a message. Um, yeah. I'm sure we all know, uh, or at least are familiar with Catherine Budig and her message of aim true. And Catherine infuses this in everything, everything from her classes and themes, um, to her website and her messaging, um, the way things look on her website, uh, the book that, you know, this is what she wants to share with people. Aim true. It's about loving yourself and speaking your own truth and not being, um, subjecting yourself to other people's expectations and opinions. And so that's her message. And that's what she shares through yoga. And so I want to invite teachers to think about what their message is. <clears throat> and you could take that a little step further and even hone in on a niche. And I know that term kind of can sound scary for some people, but a niche is really just a specialty. Um, and it could be a population of people, say veterans or busy moms that you want to work with, or it could be um, like a, a style like yoga and essential oils or yoga and self massage or yoga and music therapy. So you could, t if you, if, if teachers feel comfortable with taking that message a step further to really getting clear on their audience, um, really getting clearer on how they can help people, then I think, you know, that's, those are the first steps to, before you diversify your income streams. So if you can get the clarity around that, um, now you know where to take those income streams. Now you know where to take your business to go a step further. It's easier to plan when you have something more specific, um, something that you're working on, a certain audience or community or tribe, if you will, that you're attempting to serve. And as, as, as yoga teachers, we're guides, you know, we're guides down a path and there are many, many paths to the same place, you know, that highest self. Um, but I think we, it's safe to say that we all want to be the best guide that we can be. And in order to be the best guide that we can be, we have to know the path. And I guess that's not always the case, but you know, to guide someone down a path, it should be a path that you've hopefully walked before a path that you can help people down through the ups and downs, the winds and turns, the obstacles. And, and if you're trying to be everything to everyone and, and be the best teacher for everyone, then I would say it might be pretty challenging to really know that path, like the back of your hand to be the best guide you can when, you know, you're, you're scattered around and, um, you know, one day, you know, teaching kids and learning about teaching kids and the next day learning about, um, you know, pranayama and the philosophy of yoga and, you know, just kind of spreading yourself thin. So if we really want to, to be the best guides that we can be, it's helpful to know one path and to know it well and to walk people down that path with confidence in a way that you can really help them. And so that can be creating a niche and getting a specialty or just simply honing a message. If you just hone in on a message, that's going to help you tremendously. So to answer your question <laughs> about diversifying our incomes um, and creating different income streams for ourselves as yoga teachers, um, 
was start with that message or that niche and then branch out from there. So if you have a niche, um, one of the first things I would do is to start looking at like businesses that are serving that niche or that community as well. So for example, if you are serving busy moms and you're helping busy moms become more mindful parents, um, taking care of themselves so that they can better take care of their kids, um, then maybe you want to go find some businesses that are, are already serving busy moms. And maybe that is a children's store or kids museums or meetup groups for busy moms or, um, you know, maybe they're out at the parks. Um, you know, you just kind of start to get creative. Where are these busy moms already spending their time? And if you can partner with these businesses, then maybe they'd be interested in creating like a little group series. And from that, you might say, you know, this is going to be a six week series for taking care of yourself as a busy mom. And you can charge people up front. Um, it's a flat rate. You know, maybe it's $80 and, uh, you know, you get about six people or something. Now you're going to end up earning probably something around $75 or so, um, per class for that. If you were to get around six people by partnering with a business that was already serving them. And that is going to be a lot more for the average yoga teacher around the U S, um, than teaching that public group class. So one of the first steps I think to diversifying that income, those income streams is just to look around you and see who else is serving your tribe. And then seeing if you can partner and create some kind of program or series or regular classes, weekly classes with them. Um, from there, you know, then it helps to start to think about private clients. So we know that, you know, most of us are familiar that one of the next steps for teachers beyond group studio classes is those private sessions, because again, you can earn more there. Um, so you can start to, transition those people that are coming in for your series or your drop-in classes um, into private clients and working with them one-on-one. -on -one. Um, from there, you know, things just grow <laughs> to wherever you want to take it. Um, we know workshops and retreats, you can host those with like, you know, businesses. Um, you can host those with studios. Um, from there, you can do retreats for your busy moms. You know, those are some of the more common ones that we're familiar with. Mm -hmm. um, I can go into some more, but I know I just talked a lot. So is yeah. there anything you wanted to interject? Sure, yeah, there, there's, there's a lot to respond to there. And to go back to, you know, the first point that you made about niching down and, and really understanding who it is that you're trying to serve. Um, I can, I can definitely relate to that being a scary concept, a scary undertaking, especially for, you know, new teachers when you just want to be able to say yes to every opportunity that comes your way. And, you know, I think you have to kind of take a step back and realize that, as you said, you know, you can't serve everyone. If you try to serve everyone, then you end up being really the best qualified person to serve no one. But, but at, the, exactly. at the same, at the same time, if you can really focus in on a specific group, then it becomes much more obvious when your ideal client, your ideal student is in that group to say, oh, this is the person who does that. So natural fit for me. So you'll start to kind of attract those people um, like a magnet rather than having to go out and actively seek them yourself, which is a nice kind of side benefit of, of the niche. 
strategy there. Yes, absolutely. Um, thank you for bringing that up. It's definitely like we kind of hear this term thrown around uh, like attract your tribe. And that's how you attract them is being able to speak their language because you know them really well. Being able to actually really help them. Remember to be that best guide that we can be for people. So creating a niche. Um, well, first off, I mean, it takes the pressure off of having or feeling like you have to please everybody and be the perfect teacher for everyone. And instead you become the perfect, most extraordinary teacher for just the right person or group of people. And that is very powerful and very freeing. Yeah. And you know, there's one other thing I'll, I'll add to that, which I welcome your opinion, whether it's, you know, in contradiction or not. Um, I feel like niching down doesn't necessarily need to be something quite as tangible as busy moms or, you know, skiers or, or what have you. It can be something um, a little bit more ambiguous, like a personality type or, you know, a, uh, a psychological sociographic segment. Um and the way to kind of niche down in that sense is really just to be yourself and speak your truth and, and not worry so much about saying things that are offensive to certain people or polarizing and realize that those things can actually be assets for defining who it is that's going to work with you. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I like the way you put it. It doesn't have to be so tangible. It can be more ambiguous. Um, and, and, Likewise, like I said, it could be something like a style of teaching yoga. Like it's not necessarily like busy moms. It's something like you combine yoga with music therapy or creative arts or something, uh, you know, that can really help you create your niche. And, you know, it's really no matter what you're going to attract people and you're going to repel people. Even if you're just teaching a basic vinyasa class, some people are going to like it and some people aren't. And you know, that's, that's the beauty of it where a lot of us as teachers, we're constantly concerned about whether or not we're being good teachers. That's making it all about us. And it's not about us. It's about our students. Um, and so when you can take yourself out of it and you can focus more solely on the student and the transformation you're helping them achieve, um, it takes a lot of that, that pressure off. And and it, to become more clear in our, in our intention and in our purpose and in a domino effect way, it, it helps us, you know, become a better guide and to see more clearly as to who we can help and how we can help them and being extraordinary for just the right people. Yeah. Great. That's, that's a great kind of ribbon to tie on that. And, um, you know, your next thing that you were talking about was this idea of partnering with other businesses who are already serving the students that you want to work with. I love that because it kind of goes right back to something that you said in your introduction about yoga teachers slipping away from this uh, community consciousness into a competitive atmosphere or a competitive attitude. And I like that you said that because it, it is a reminder that even in the setting, the the context of a business, we can still be collaborative in a way that's beneficial to, to everyone who's involved. The two, the two businesses, you, the independent contractor teacher, the business that you're partnering with and the students that are, that are benefiting from both of your areas of expertise. Yeah. Well, look, so, I mean, it has become 
teacher training programs have become part of business models for studios. So that means that in order for them to survive and make revenue and pay their bills, teacher trainings are, are becoming a very important part of that. So it's something that they push. And therefore, we've been having a really big turnout of new yoga teachers. And, and I'm part of that. I mean, you know, I have not been teaching for 15, 20 years, you know. So, I mean, I get it. I understand. Um, but, you know, there is this other side of it. And so I think that's maybe where some of the competition is coming from, because um, there are there's such a saturation of yoga teachers and we don't, you know, at the same time, whilst yoga studios are popping up on every corner, um, there are also closing studios that are closing all the time. And so I just don't think the studio model can handle the influx of teachers that are being turned out every year. So I think that for that, that's maybe creating some of that competition is because there's not enough space. Um, so that's another reason, like I said, to start getting outside, thinking outside the studio and also, well, let me just jump in there really quick and say that sure. not every student wants to practice at a studio either. So even though the studios may be saturated, doesn't mean that the student base is saturated. Right. And that was a, kind of what I was going to say. So, so yeah, you're completely right. I mean, some students or people, I should say, because maybe they're not yoga students yet. I mean, they'll never right. step foot in a yoga studio because they're intimidated because they don't have access to it. It's too expensive. It's, you know... Um, it's not serving them. It's vinyasa classes and they don't, you know, know what that is or they have limitations or, you know, there's so many reasons why so many people are never going to step foot in the studio. So um, what I wanted to say is that the second thing about t thinking outside of the studio is that you get out in the community and meet people where they are, where they feel comfortable and not intimidating. You meet them at the children's museum, you meet them at the chiropractor, you meet them at their place of work. Like, you know, you're out there offering yoga and meeting people on their terms in a way they feel comfortable. And that serves everybody a whole lot more um, than just putting all your eggs in the studio basket. Totally. I mean, I, I can definitely relate to that. I've got a student right now, a private student who can't move out of a chair. And, you know, and these yeah. are the people who, who need yoga the most. So to deny them the power that's been so transformative to you as a teacher is, is a real shame, quite honestly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There's, you know, so many ways that we can get out in the community more. And, and it's funny because one of the first things I learned when I opened my yoga studio is that you don't need a studio to teach yoga. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, my, my studio was and is a donation-based yoga studio. Um, so affordability was of prime importance to us. And I, I feel and I know that the studio serves the community in a very unique way that other studios are not. So it has its purpose in, it, in its intention. But at the same time, like I said, I realize you don't need the studio to teach yoga. And that's because you can, like I did, partner with uh, one of the first partnerships I formed, um, which I didn't really have a niche or a message. I really wasn't sure what I was doing. I was just fumbling around figuring it out. But one of the first partnerships I developed was with a nonprofit in San Jose, um, California, in the Bay Area, uh, that was a nonprofit community farm called Veggie Lucian. 
And I just knew I wanted to partner with them and do yoga on the farm. And so we did. And we offered yoga on the farm on the weekends, um, you know, so people could get exposure to the farm um, so that the farm could also give us exposure and that we could be outdoor in this awesome, like, space, you know, practicing yoga. Um, From there, my partnerships expanded into we were right down the street from a university. So I was on campus just passing out flyers. And then I realized there's sororities and clubs on campus and they need events and they need things to do for bonding and for, you know, whatever other reasons. And so there I was offering classes to the sororities for bonding sisterhood things. And, you know, (laughs) um, and from that then, I got in contact with the baseball team and I became the yoga teacher for the San Jose state baseball team. Um, so, I mean, you know, there's just that, and that was all in the first few months. <laughs> so this is before you figured out what, what niche you want to really hone in on, right? Cause you got, you kind of have to throw some paint at the wall and see what sticks before you know who totally. your ideal group is sometimes. Yeah. Yes. And Henry, I'm so glad that you brought that up because you mentioned it earlier. And I'm all for teachers trying on as many hats as possible. Teach the kids, teach the athletes, teach, you know, the group settings, the private settings, um, the corporate settings, like get your feet wet. Um, But don't exhaust yourself and burn yourself out for one. Um, And for two, keep in mind, you know, that you do want to hone in somewhere, create some kind of specialty keep in mind what is resonating with you. What you see is an area you could be happy in, um, and that, you know, you could sustain and that there is a need for it and there is growth there for you. Um, you know, again, we got to think like businesses, you got to think about growth, future and planning. (laughs) Okay. So speaking of that, speaking of growth and applying the business mindset to your yoga teaching, you know, there's, that's a big pressure on every business is to grow. And as a single person business, that can be a challenge. So do you have any recommendations on how we can scale our time and our energy as a single person business? Well, first off, I love that you're calling it a single person business. I struggle a lot with the terminology to use here because it's it's not like there there aren't these widely accepted terms. So um, I do like the single person business because um, it's not as scary as self-employed and it's not as elusive as the independent you know, yoga teacher. Um, so thanks for using that term. I'm going to, um, yeah, adopt it as well, if you don't mind. (laughs) Um, so now I lost myself. Your question. The question was how, how we can, um, focus on scaling our time and energy as, as a single person running a business. Right. So scaling our time and energy Um, again, it it starts with the niche. It starts with having a clear message. It starts with knowing who you're trying to talk to. Um, From there, everything gets easier. Your marketing gets easier because you know what they need and how to talk to them. Um, Your continuing education gets easier because you know what to study. Uh, um, And scalability. So, So taking, drawing upon your message and your niche, um, you know, scaling from there, we mentioned workshops. Workshops are really profitable for yoga teachers. Um, and they're, they're not, um, 
they're not extremely time consuming if you create repeatable workshops. Um, so instead of, you know, recre recreating the wheel every time you want to offer a workshop, you can instead have a signature workshop that you teach at multiple locations and in different settings. And so that way you're not having to, you know, create your content, create your promotion, create your flyers and all of that. You, you know it. Um, and you'll refine it as the more you do it, the more you offer it. And that creates, that makes things easier. And that allows you to scale when you can, um, you know, free up some of your time and, and um, you're able to repeat the same kind of signature workshops or two over and over. Um, from and there, it's sort of systematized almost I, into I like, like a product so that you don't have to invest so much creative energy and it's more about execution after you've done it a few times. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, once you have one under your belt, just add to it. Yeah, of course, it's not going to be one workshop or one theme is going to, you know, solve all your problems for your tribe. Of course not, you know, so then you branch out and you dive deeper into another topic um, that's important to the people that you're working with. Um, and you go from there. Uh, another thing that I like to um, encourage teachers to do is to actually become more of a coach. Um, so just like I do, I, I coach yoga teachers in their careers to help them as you said, like create their dreams into goals and to make those a reality. And so we can do that as yoga teachers, we can become coaches for our students because um, many of us know that like the physical asana practice is not it, right? I mean, it's one component, but there's so much more to yoga and there's so much more to healthy, happy living than just yoga. And a lot of us have other passions, massage therapy, Reiki, music, sound healing, you know, all these different things, meditation, pranayama. Um, and if we can become a guide on a bigger level than teaching a regular asana class, then I think that brings a lot more value to the people that we're serving. It diverses, it diversifies our income streams um, and, and serves them in a more wholesome way and helps us scale because we can charge a more premium price for that one-on-one -on -one work. Mm -hmm. Um, we can feel a little bit more fulfilled because maybe we're now having a bigger impact. I know I hear from teachers quite often, like, I want to teach more, you know, I want to have a bigger impact. Like these group classes, you know, I just, you know, see all these random students all the time and, you know, I, I really want to do more. Well, becoming a coach is a really great way to, to do more. Another thing I can recommend to teachers is that you can certify and train teachers in your specialty or in your niche so that they can in turn um, teach students the way that you do and help people the way you do. You can train them just through simply a workshop. You can train them through, uh, you know, a Yoga Alliance approved continuing education course. Um, and you can just kind of be a mentor for other teachers too. And that can be its own income stream in itself, training other teachers. Likewise, if you can train other teachers, then you can hire a staff of teachers to do what you do. So now you're scaling a lot more because let's say you're teaching corporate yoga. You only have so many hours in the day. So that limits you on how much you can earn and how many clients you can work with. 
Um, if you can hire a team of instructors, so now that you maybe teach some classes to, you know, fulfill your desire to teach if you want. Um, but then, you know, you're doing the legwork, you're doing the, the work involved in getting the clients. And now you're sending your staff of teachers to go out and it's, mm -hmm. it's like a twofer. You're helping them get out of the studio and diversify their income and hopefully earn more than they would teaching a regular group group, group class. But you're also earning at the same time too. So in whatever specialty you can hire a team, you can hire other people to work for you. Yeah. And you know, I, you were gonna this kind of all goes back to this idea of thinking outside the confines of the studio. I mean, really, you're, you're talking about building a yoga business without the overhead of renting the, the real estate and without, you know, paying for the heating and all, all of these things that we've that most, you know, yoga entrepreneurs are, are taking for granted as cost of doing business. It doesn't have to be that way. You know, there, there are lots of different ways to get the yoga out there and, and spread your mission, spread these powerful sciences and tools that don't have to fit what you see every day. Yeah. And I'll be the first to tell you, you know, a brick and mortar studio space is expensive <laughs> um, and you're paying your teachers, hopefully, regardless of whether or not students show up, you know, or how many show up. And, um, you know, that's that's a lot of overhead and you can have an on site yoga business that goes to other people people to their homes, to their places of work, to, you know, um, other practitioners like chiropractors, Ayurveda practitioners, acupuncturists, you know, like yeah. again, getting out there in the community, you can go to them in a space that's relatively zero to low overhead, um, and not have <laughs> that overhead of, of everything else, uh, the, the gas and the right. rent. <laughs> right. And, and by collaborating with these other healers and other service people, you allow them to do what they're amazing at and you can continue to focus on your unique area zone of genius. And, right. and you know, it's, it's the same thing. You know, we, we have to focus on our specialty and then collaboration allows us to provide that wholesome package of, of services to our ideal client. Right. And one of the biggest things for teachers is that promotion aspect. Um, you know, how do I go out and start this if I don't have a community already? And you know, hopefully you're partnering with a business that does have a community and they have a newsletter and an email list and they have a place of, you know, business where they're serving people and, 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 and partnering with them, uh, hopefully you're building out that partnership in a way that is mutual, um, and that you get access to their community. And likewise, as you build yours, they'll get access to yours that you're self, uh, or sorry, mutually referring each other and, and working together. Yeah, that's, that's really smart. That's a, that's a clever idea. Uh, Michelle, you know, we've talked a lot about these tactics and tools that yoga teachers can use to improve um, the financial security of their business. Um, and I'm so grateful for that. Thank you for sharing all those tips. But I also know that, you know, you had to trial by fire in order to learn those. So can you take us to a moment where you really struggled living this dharma of, of sharing with yoga teachers how to treat themselves like a proper business. Like where, where did you hit a wall and then what did you do to get through it? 
Well, <clears throat> that's happened to me multiple times. Um, and, and it's going to happen to everyone. And it's going to continue to happen to me that you're going to hit walls. And it's about not giving up and figuring out a way to get over that wall. And so um, one of the walls that I hit very quickly and early on um, with my, my studio, which is where I, you know, again, got started in the yoga business, um, was that I thought I had enough savings of my own to support myself, but I didn't. <laughs> and I quickly went through that. So then I was, you know, financially very strained um, and energetically very strained because you put so much time you're working nonstop um, as a studio owner, as a, as a new business you are. And so that was kind of one of the first walls that I hit was, wow, like I, I can't, I'm so broke and I'm putting so much into this. I have to figure out um, what else I can do. And we were service-based studio. Like I said, things were run on donation and things still are. Um, and I'm, I, again, I'm no longer the sole operator of that space. Um, someone else is, and they've carried it on and done a whole lot more. Um, and I had to transition out and I had to transition out not only for my own financial and financial and energetic, you know, burnout and to, to help myself combat that. Um, but also life was just taking me in another direction. The Silicon Valley is not a cheap place to live. It's <laughs> extremely expensive. <laughs> And, um, and my now husband and I needed to really ground ourselves and figure out what was most important to us. And as I was going to expand the studio and take out loans and stuff, we just thought, is this really the right thing? Do we really want to invest more in, in here? And it wasn't, you know, we took a hard look at things and as hard as it was, it just wasn't the right thing for us and for me at the time. And so we transitioned out of the Bay Area, um, out of Silicon Valley and out of being the studio owner. And so, you know, so then I had to look at things again and say, what are my strengths? What am I good at? And and how can I still continue to serve and how can I lower my overhead? And that was the creation of love teaching yoga, going online, um, not having that brick and mortar space um, and those high overhead. And my strengths were, I noticed right away while I was in my teacher training that I was getting a really high quality teacher training. And I was already noticing that I kind of, I, I, I hate to say this as like, it's not a very humble thing to say, but I already noticed that I knew more teachers because of my training, because of who I trained with and the quality of the training. So I knew that I, that was a strength. Um, I also knew that now I had this tremendous amount of business skills. I learned so much and I was seeing myself helping teachers because they were literally coming to me and asking for me for, for help on things. How did I do this? And so drawing upon that experience and those skills, I thought, well, maybe I can create this online business um, that doesn't have the high overhead and that still continues to help teachers. And so I did. And so I started to create Love Teaching Yoga. So, you know, um, and, and, and even with Love Teaching Yoga, I've, again, hit many walls of, of challenges. Um, but again, it's just pivoting yourself and, you know, taking a step back be willing to look at what's not working 
And are you living in alignment with your highest self? Are you living in alignment with your values? Are you really happy doing what you're doing? And taking a step back and admitting to yourself if you're not, and if you're not on the right path, and then be willing to open yourself up to letting the universe, your cosmic dharma, um, show you maybe the right path or a different path and just being open to that. I love that, you know, you were informed in your decision and what you were going to take a step toward by what people were asking you. I think that's something that we can all learn from. It's like, what, are people asking you for help with? And then can you go out and give it to them and, and make a system for doing it? You know, it doesn't need to be something that's just like random ad hoc. Realize that there are patterns out there for what people and the world is asking from you and then give it back. Like that's how you can be of service. So bravo to you for, for recognizing that, having the wherewithal to see the patterns and then to, to act on it. Thank you. And that was beautifully said. I love the the idea of thinking about it in terms of patterns, because you're right. I mean, these patterns are all around us energetically and they're there. And if you're willing to see them and listen, they can speak to you. Totally. Totally. Michelle, what are you doing today to live your Dharma? Well, um, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm never, I never stop learning, as I said earlier, and I think um, I'm, I'm constantly consuming information. And although that can be a slippery slope, and it has at times for me, um, I'm still wide open to, to learning and to, to being a student of life and a student of um, motherhood and a student of yoga. And, um, you know, I don't claim to ever know everything about anything, um, about careers in yoga and the business of yoga. You know, I'm still a student. I am still learning. And I think staying open to that process of learning is what, um, what I'm doing today to help me continue down this path. Yeah. You have to stay curious I said that at the beginning of this conversation. I'll say it again. As teachers, we have to cultivate the student mindset. And, and you're doing that. Uh, I'm doing my best to do that. Um, and I think everyone who listens to the show does that in part because they're, they're looking to learn something too. So we've all got that in common. Michelle, um, I think now is as good a time as any to move on to the end of the show. I have a special round of questions called the Prana Round. And the prana round, I ask you six rapid fire questions and ask you to answer in minimum one word, maximum one sentence. Does that sound good? All of them can only be in one sentence. <laughs> maximum one sentence. Yeah, they're quick questions. Oh my gosh. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> okay. In one word, why do you practice yoga? Balance. What's your favorite yoga pose and why? Mm. Supta Varasana, reclined hero's pose. I just love how it combines um, the deep hip opener of our psoas, our soul, our muscle of our soul with a heart opener. I think those two things at the same time just create a beautiful experience. Mm -hmm. So you're, you're doing the version with, uh, with chest lifted off the floor, not flat spine. Yeah, I put my hands up overhead and just open up that chest and lift it and mm, it feels so good. <laughs> yeah, I, I learned that one from the, the Bikram series. But since then, I've, I've, I've been taught it in a number of ways, including a flat spine version, which is, which is fun to try too. 
I don't think I have that flexibility. <laughs> it's a, well, it's a lot of strength. It's like it's that Udiana like um, lower belly uh, strength to pull it down. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay, moving on. What's the single best cue or piece of advice you've ever received from a yoga teacher? Um, <clears throat> breathe. <laughs> um, yeah. I'll take that. I'll, um, you know, uh, you probably want something more tangible than that. And, oh, I can't condense it into one sentence, though. Okay, I'll, I'll let you break the rule. Um, if you've got something you want to share. Oh, yeah, I love breaking, I love breaking <laughs> rules. Okay, so um, one of the – I hated Warrior One for a really long time. And my teacher told me uh, to not square my hips towards the front. And I thought, hmm, but that's what everybody tells me to do. And he said, well, don't. Open it up. If your foot's pointed out, your back foot is pointed out at a 45-degree angle, let your hip open in that direction as well. And that freed up so much space in my lower back because we're doing this asymmetrical pose, but then we're trying to square our hips to the front and make it symmetrical. That put a lot of tension on my lower back. Plus, when you're squaring the hips forward, but the foot and the lower leg are still pointed out at this 45-degree angle, that creates a little torque and a twist in the back knee. And so once I opened up my back hip in the same direction as my foot and let that space open up, oh man, warrior one just changed for me. So that simple cue of don't square your hips <laughs> and warrior one is one of the best cues I've ever gotten. All right, folks, you heard it here. Try, you heard it here first. <laughs> Try the warrior one with unsquare hips. All right. <laughs> Recommend one book, modern or ancient for our audience. So I would say um, The Celestine Prophecy by James Redfield. Um, it was one of the first books I read that shared spiritual ideas. And it did it through a really captivating story. So I, I really just loved that book. And I should read it again because it's been some time. <laughs> cool. All right. Uh, is yoga for everyone? Hmm. Yes, in regards to the pranayama, meditation, and spiritual elements of yoga. But I would say in terms of the asana practice, in the conventional sense, it's not exactly for everyone, nor are all the lineages for everyone. Um, sometimes we have some limitations or injuries. Yoga can be an injurious practice itself. So I want to just say as much as everybody wants it to be for everyone, I think you got to take that a little bit with a grain of salt sometimes. And maybe, and maybe it's not all the time. I don't know. Cool. Yeah. No, I respect that answer a lot. And that's why I ask it. You know, some people say, yes, of course. And some people hesitate and then give an answer sort of like that in some form. <laughs> yes. But yeah, you got to be, I think you need to be considerate about what you're doing, you know, and yes, yoga has a very broad definition and you can take it in lots of different directions, but Thank you for your thoughtful answer. Sure. Last, last question. How can our audience get in touch with you and how can we support you in your Dharma? Um, so everything, all of the resources that I offer, um, my podcast, everything can be found on my website, which is simple love teaching yoga.com. Um, and to help me, to help me support my dharma, which again is to help teachers, <laughs> um, 
you know, visit the website, share the resources on there. If you're a teacher or you know teachers, um, you know, and just carry on the conversations. Um, I have I have a book. It's called The Thriving Yoga Teacher, How to Create a Sustainable Career Doing What You Love. Um, we touched on a few areas today of different streams of income. Um, I touch on a whole lot more. I, I believe I cover around 20 streams of income there, including passive and active income. Um, things with going online, creating courses and virtual studios and Skype classes and stuff. So if this topic and and that idea of thinking outside of the studio interests you, grab the book. It's on the website. Grab it for a friend. It's on Amazon. Um, and again, uh, you know, the more teachers I can help, the more we can all come up together as a collective, as a, you know, supportive community, then we're doing our job. I'm doing my job. I'm living my dharma. Amazing. Yes. You're living your dharma. <laughs> Michelle, thank you so much for coming on the show. This is a really value-packed, information-rich episode. So thank you again. And for anyone who wants to learn more, go check out her website, loveteachingyoga.com. And that's a wrap. Thank you, Henry. It's been a pleasure. If you got something out of this episode, if you like Dharma Talk and want to keep it going, please do me a huge favor and subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. I know it's not the most convenient thing to do, but it makes all the difference in getting the show out there and more visible to other people who can benefit from it. And hey, if you've got feedback or ideas or you want to get in touch with me, you can do that on Instagram at Henry Wins. Otherwise, I'll talk to you next week. And until then, keep living your dharma.